sitting there on the sidelines on the game, just watching guys go out there, making plays. And I just feel like I missed a part. I didn't feel like I was really on the team. What was your first reaction when you heard the news of the trade? Hey, we got to step up. That's why we're here. You know what I mean? We're not here to, you know, to be honest, just to be, you know, second string or third string. We're here to play and make plays for this team and be able to help us to get to the Super Bowl. You know what I'm saying? Championship mindset. Welcome to the lounge. I'm speaking to you, Garrett, because you were missing for two weeks. I'm back Welcome in the lounge. In the lounge <laughs> I'm back into boy. the lounge. We had a one-week hiatus from the podcast. Didn't have one come out last week, and the reason for that is because I was enjoying beautiful Italy, sipping wine in Tuscany while you were here grinding yeah, away. I'm back here drinking curing coffee. Thanks. <laughs> I was having cappuccino, gelato, and uh, some wine. So, Seriously. But I'm back now, and uh, we've got a good episode of the lounge in store for fans today. Really, really good. But before we get to that, I want to read an email that was sent to us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. Make sure you're sending those emails and the audio clips. We have audio clips. We always ask for that, and it hasn't really... Seriously. People don't listen to what you say. Guys, take your iPhone. It's in a little app there. It's got a recording thing. Record yourself, then you can email it. It's easy. It's true. Easy peasy. Anyway. All right, this email comes from Barth Poby. I hope I pronounced your last name right, Barth. Uh, it says, good morning, Garrett and Ryan. I love your podcast. I always wanted to write you, but never could gather the courage. I got it after listening to your international podcast. Trust me, it doesn't take any courage to talk to us. We're There's no couple, courage. We're a couple of just, just <laughs> I don't even want to know. Yeah, yeah I don't even want to say. Uh, Bar says, I'm originally from Togo, West Africa, and I started following American football after five years ago. Uh, about five years ago, and I am a big Ravens fan. Since November 2016, the podcast became like golden cookies for me. Because of the political talk, I can't listen to radio anymore on my way to and from work. That's how you feel like sharing an office with me, right? <laughs> Too much political talk. Uh, without being afraid of getting into an accident. So every time I see a new podcast, I jealously keep it up, as, keep it as a golden cookie with a smile to listen to in my 30 minutes drive to and from work. I was sad to hear that we weren't going to have a podcast last week. Anyway, quick hits from Barth. He says, I won Thanksgiving Christmas dress. Bingo. Like that's, this guy already. No. He said, Super Bowl 52 is a special one because... Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis. That's gonna right. Be a so, says, Ray Lewis said that it's going to be special, that's too. That's right. So he says the energy is going to carry us to a championship. And number three, let Stefan Namebot know that he is invited to have Fufu with cow legs and faux elephant ear, <laughs> a.k.a. cow skin, with him any time he wants. He All says, right. Stefan is an inspiration to the African youth for getting to this level without knowing the game growing up, and I wish him well, and by the grace of God, uh, may he do great things. That's great. Yeah, so pretty cool. Really like that email, and anybody that calls the podcast a golden cookie? Golden cookie. Is good in my book. <laughs> yeah, I've never heard that one, but I like it. <laughs> I like it. The golden cookie. So thank you for the email, Barth, and uh, with that said, we'll jump right into it. We had some big news this week. Yes. Go ahead, Garrett, kick it off. Well, yeah, the big news, obviously, was the trade of Timmy Jernigan to the Eagles. Essentially, what this does is it allows the Ravens to move up 25 spots in the third round of this year's draft. They don't have to wait a couple of years to get a compensatory pick, and of course, they lose Timmy Jernigan. Now, Part of the reason you make a trade like that is because you're confident in the players that you have in the pipeline. That's what Ozzie Newsom said in a uh, statement released that day. And so the players in the pipeline are Carl Davis, Willie Henry, and then also there's Michael Pierce, who already had a you know a significant role last year. Right. So just a little teaser, we're going to have Carl Davis on the podcast. We talked to him about this trade. Um, but just our initial takeaways from it, you know, this to me, I was a little surprised when I first heard that the Ravens were 
in talks with potentially shopping. Yeah. Timmy Jernigan. It's not their kind of move. Right, because typically players play out their contracts. Timmy was a highly productive player at times, mm-hmm. really talented player, really kind of fell off the second half of last year, but I think we all saw the talent. So I was a little surprised when I first heard that they were potentially talking about it, but I do think it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the thing with Timmy is you look at it, and at first you're like, guy had five sacks last year, the second most sacks on the team, and we're looking to get more sacks, yeah. not less sacks. Right. Uh, and, and like I said, you know, this is an atypical move because typically you, the last year of a player's rookie contract is when you make the most money off of it as a team or whatever. You get the most production, the biggest bang for your buck. Right. right? Yeah. T- guys are pretty motivated when they have a contract here well, hanging too. over their head. That too. But I'm just saying, like, he's still getting paid a small amount, right. you know, and, and he's been in your system now for three years. Mm-hmm. You should be getting a, a very good player at a cheap price. So it's not the typical move. But I think you, you kind of hit it on the head when you said by trading him now. So if you didn't think that you are going to be able to re-sign him after next season, which the Ravens probably were not. I mean, they just paid Brandon Williams $52 million. Exactly. You're not going to have two guys you're in not the gonna, defense You're not going to re-sign him yeah. after this season. So if that happens, then you're probably going to get a compensatory pick. Best case scenario, you get a third-round compensatory pick if he signs a big contract and all that stuff, right, and gets a lot of playing time and all that stuff. That's best case scenario. Probably not likely. I mean... It's not like Timmy Jernigan, I don't know, maybe he'll light the world on fire, but I don't know. I don't know that he's going to get that big of a contract to, to warrant a third-round compensatory. Pick. Right, maybe he's more of in the fourth-round range. Exactly. So what the Ravens essentially did by moving up 25 spots now, the value of moving up 25 spots is equivalent to the value of getting a late third-round pick, like a third-round compensatory pick, except you get it this year in this year's stacked draft class instead of in 2019. And newsflash... The Ravens want to win now. Yeah. They don't really care right now about winning in 2019. Yeah. You know, I mean, you haven't made the playoffs three of the past four years. It's like, let's get better players now. Yeah. And I, I think also what plays into it is you drafted 11 players last year. I mean, the Ravens had a big rookie class last year. So you don't need more rookies on this team. You need better rookies <laughs> on this team, right? So, so advancing up, moving up in the third round, that could be significant. I mean, you're talking about... A pretty substantial talent difference there, I think, at the beginning of the third round as opposed to the very end. Right. So the Ravens now have four picks in the top 78 of this year's draft. Everyone says, all the experts you talk to say it's a really deep draft at certain positions that fit the Ravens' cornerback, pass rusher being the most notable ones. That's good news for the Ravens. Eric DaCosta also said that it's a defensive draft. So you have an opportunity there to kind of reload. You know, they hit on some really good players in last year's draft. Now you have an opportunity to run it back and hit again and get some impact players. And then you have a young team that can potentially get you back into that postseason conversation. And I I also always go back to what Steve Bishotti said a couple years ago or a few years ago or whatnot. And he says, you know, we got to give our young players a chance to play. Yeah. You know, we we have faith in our scouting department and Ozzy and drafting and all that stuff and Eric. And then we we draft these guys, and they don't play for, like, three years. You know, I mean, I think that we all saw what happened basically with Paul Kruger. I I think that was kind of the catalyst to this movement is guy finally gets on the field his last year, and he explodes, and then he gets a big contract elsewhere. And you're like, man, like, we only got one-year production out of this guy. Hmm. And you have a player like a Carl Davis. You drafted in the third round out of Iowa, and you say, well, this guy's really got some potential, but if he's always buried behind people... And, and then he only gets on the field for one year before his rookie contract expires, what have you really gained? Yeah. You know, so get him on the field. Give him a chance if they've proven that they have that talent, which I think Carl, Carl did his rookie year. Give him a shot. So, it's a, look, I mean, 
with everything, with all kind of moves like this, there's a gamble. There's there's a risk element to it. You know, you don't know exactly yep. how guys are going to play. But that's the name of the game. That's what these general managers have to do every single, every position, every single year. And you don't know that how Timmy Jernigan was going to play last year. I mean, the dude had one sack over the last eight games, like one sack and five tackles. Yeah. I mean, sure, he was a talented player, but Timmy Jernigan was also a gamble of a player. Mm-hmm. You don't, you never knew what you were going to get. He could be on fire, and he was a dog at times, and I loved him at times. And then other times, you know, he just disappeared. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's not like he was a sure bet. Like you traded a Pro Bowl future Hall of Famer here, right? You know, so all of it is a gamble, and I think the Ravens think that they can replace that. Yeah. So the guy that. They think they can replace it with one of the guys is Carl yeah. Davis. Yeah. And we uh, had a chance. Carl's been working out here pretty much every single day over the course of the offseason trying to get himself ready, even before this Timmy Jernigan trade. He's been here working hard to get himself ready for the season. So we talked to Carl, convinced him to come by the lounge, and here's our interview with Carl Davis. So, Carl, you're kind of in the news right now. You know, a lot of people are talking about you because it's been kind of a crazy week here. Right. You know, the Ravens obviously traded Timmy. Right. And so now everyone's looking at you and Willie Henry and Michael Pierce as kind of the new young guys that are going to step into that spot. Just what was your first reaction when you heard the news of the trade? I was just like, wow. I was actually uh, on the phone with Willie at the time. He was like, hey, they traded Timmy. I'm like, no, he didn't. Like, (laughs) You know what I mean? So I thought it was kind of an April Fool's thing, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, sometimes you have those little mock-ups, those fake things on Instagram. Yeah. People are like, oh yeah, so and so went here, but then it came through on my phone. I said, I'm like, for real? And I was just like, hey, you know, we just got to, we got to step up. You know what I mean? And I, me and Willie, we work out all the time here and uh, downtown at the Under Armour facility down there. And um, you know, I mean, it, it was crazy. You know, Tim was a great player. Uh, definitely somebody that, you know what I'm saying, we kind of looked at, you know, his starting role and what he did and how many plays he had made. So, you know, we want to be able to duplicate that, and that's what just me and Willie was talking about. It's kind of crazy. So you and Willie were actually talking to each other yeah. at the time when you found out, and then you guys were both basically saying, like, hey, it's it's time for us to step up. Yeah. I mean, we have no choice. I mean, that's that's why we're here. You know what I mean? We're not here to, you know, to be honest, just to be, you know, second string or third string. We're here to play and make plays for this team and be able to help us to get – um, to the Super Bowl, you know what I'm saying, championship mindset. So how, how difficult was last season for you? I mean, your rookie year, you come out and you really make a lot of plays, see a lot of time, and then last year, sitting out the entire season, obviously. I mean, last year was super rough for me. I mean, just sitting there on the sidelines, on the game, just watching guys go out there, making plays, you know. Um, you, know you just see the guys kind of growing together, too, and I just feel like I missed a part. I didn't feel like I was really on the team, and it was a struggle for me, like, you know, more so – you know, mentally, I tried. I was in the weight room doing what I needed to do, but you know, it, it was just it was just tough sitting on the sidelines. Any competitor, you know, it's going to be tough sitting on the sidelines when you know you want to be out there and you feel like you can make some plays. You know what I mean? Everybody brings something different with their game, and I feel like I bring something different with my game. And uh, I just want to be able to get out there and help. But you know, it was just a rough one, and the way it happened, it was just really frustrating. Can you describe what what do you feel like you bring with your game, and is that kind of you know with Timmy leaving? Obviously, mm. people look at the sacks. You know, you right. have the defensive line with five sacks. Do you feel like the team is looking at you and saying, "Well, we think Carl can be that kind of guy for us." Right. Well, I don't I don't know what they you know expect on me. I know that I'm a I'm a bigger guy. I'm a little bit bigger than yeah. Timmy. Yeah. So you know, I'm more of a you know I can clog the hole. You know, make sure we stop the run, and I, I feel like I can pass rush too. You know, what I mean, a lot of that stuff you know just comes with practice and. You know, I feel like, you know, we got one of the best. I know we have the best guard in the league and, and Yonder. And, right. you know, so we can, you know, practice against him if, if I can get better. And then I know I'll be able to execute in games. So, um, 
you know, just being a better all-around player, you know, I feel like I can do that. Timmy, Timmy kind of hit those gaps. You create gaps by throwing guys. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, outlets, yeah, right? yeah. That's my thing. Just trying to make sure in the run game, you know, if we try to hold off that double team so that our linebackers can make the plays, you know, just really just cause havoc and make sure those guys, the line of scrimmage either stays the same or gets knocked back. When they announced the, the trade, one of the things that Ozzy said in his statement was that we feel like we have young guys that now are going to have a chance to play, and we want to see what they can do. When you see that from Ozzy, and obviously they don't make that move unless they feel like you and Willie and Michael Pierce are willing and able to step into that spot. Is mm-hmm. it kind of a boost of confidence knowing that the organization is saying, all right, we're willing to trade a really good player because we know we have good players in the pipeline? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that definitely feels good, you know, that they believe in us and um, have trust in us and, you know, us being a draft prospects you know now we're here um you know it feels it feels good you know to be wanted you know that's for anything so you know I just want to make sure that you know I don't let those guys down I know Willie and Pierce feel the same way and I know they're going to be great players good players you know you know Pierce proved out there me and Willie were both on IR so we both have a lot to prove you know what I'm saying and um we just look forward for the opportunity right now this offseason you, you talk about working out I mean <laughs> how I feel like I've seen you in here like every single day, <laughs> right. and, yeah. I, and I, even looking at you, honestly, it looks like you're a little bit physically different from you when you were as a rookie. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've just been working out a lot, just really working on my body, working on my eating habits and everything, and just understanding that a lot of things. A lot of these things are are more mental. You know what I mean? So, uh, just having control over myself and my body that that's big. You know what I mean? So. Like I said, I'm just thankful for the opportunity right now to be able. That's all I can ask for is opportunity, and to be able to go out here and get ready in a couple of weeks to start back up with with Steve Saunders, and um, just get right out here to keep working, and then eventually get on the field. So the workouts and the and the eating and all that stuff. I feel like a lot of young guys, and I feel like you've talked about this before. When you first come into the league, there's the process of learning to be a pro, mm-hmm. you know, what that means. And then when you spend all last year basically watching from the sidelines and getting healthy, that you have nothing to do but learn. You know, right. all you can do is work out and mm-hmm. learn and take it all in. Do you feel like you have learned to become a pro? Yes, definitely. I just watched other guys. You know, one of those guys is, is Brandon Williams. You know, this guy, he's a, uh, you know, I go to the chiropractor with him. You know, he gets in the cold tub. I'm just learning a lot of different things. So now I'm creating myself a system that, like, throughout the week that I know, hey, I should go here this week. I should do this. You know, what I shouldn't do. You know, so I kind of was watching older guys. And I watch, uh, like, Chris Canty, you know, older guy. You know, he had his routines. Every guy has a routine. So I just want to make sure I have my own routine. And so I learned that, you know what I'm saying, in the offseason. Obviously, I wasn't practicing, but I just started noticing how guys did things. So brought it to myself. So, Carl, I want to talk a little bit about your background as well, uh, and and we'll kind of go in reverse, starting with now. I guess I don't know. However, <laughs> you do that. Okay. But anyway, you have you have a foundation, uh-huh. a trench work foundation, right? And you also launched a, a clothing brand off yeah. of it too. Tell tell me a little bit first about your foundation and the work you're doing there. So I'm originally from Detroit, um, and um, I kind of I had the whole season to think about it, kind of. So. Um, you know, I was just thinking about our needs, the people's needs in Detroit, you know, and especially how I grew up and, you know, the opportunities I had in order to make it to this point, every kid is not going to have, you know what I mean? So I, I went to a lot of different schools. And so my goal with my foundation is to rebuild homes in my area in the city of Detroit, um, you know, and to be able to put families in there and create them, let them have home ownership so that these people can feel prideful and to live in this community and then also eventually down the road be able to build a recreational center to where um, 
these families in this community can, you know, get these kids off the street. They can have a place to go, you know, work out, hang out, hang out with each other. And also have an entrepreneurship program to where these kids can learn a trade, learn a skill, you know, because school isn't for everybody. So to get these kids off the street and actually have them to have a, a, a skill they can, they can carry out throughout their life. If they know how to build a home, you know, I feel like they can always be employable. You know, if you know how to be an electrician, you can work for the city or you can just be your own electrician. Plus, so, you make good money being an electrician. You're right. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? electrician makes bank. <laughs> yeah, and the goal is just to teach people how to be more self-reliant. You know what I mean? So um, that's what I'm doing with my foundation is just trying to make people self-reliant. I don't want to, you know, make these people rent from me. I don't want them to pay me their money. I want them to have their own money so they don't have to keep living the same lifestyle that they do right now. Teach your man the fish. Don't exactly. Teach the fish. Right. Exactly. <laughs> is this something that you had, had kind of been stewing in you even from the time that you were younger, you in high school, college age, or is this really, did it really come to fruition last year when you had more time to think about it? Well, I always kind of thought about it. You know, it's funny, like, growing up, I was grew up on Joy Road, and uh, a lot of people didn't know that, you know, because of how I may carry myself, and I was always in different schools in the suburbs, but, I mean, it's, it's little things that kind of stick with you. Like, in my backyard, Used to, I had a basketball rim back there, and it had all type of potholes. I'm surprised I didn't sprain an ankle ever <laughs> back there. And I just remember all I wanted was to play on a flat surface course, I mean, court. Wow. And I didn't have that, you know what I'm saying? And all the rec centers were shut down, you know what I mean? It wasn't enough place for, for us to go. And a lot of kids that was from my area that probably came and played basketball with me didn't have anything to do, didn't have any experiences to look forward to or opportunities. So, you know, they kind of resorted to the things that kind of get you in trouble, as we all know. You know what I mean? And, you know, I just wanted to create opportunities so that these people didn't have to do that. You know, a lot of people from my area are in jail that I grew up with or, you know what I'm saying, probably not even here today. Yeah. You know, so my goal is to be able to help and to be able to help a kid, change a kid's life, even if it's one. Right. You know what I mean? That's a, that's a life that we can change and to keep them off the streets and have them be a, um, a law-abiding citizen and also be positive role model to the next group of kids. Can you talk a little bit about your background growing up there? And we don't really know Joy Road. Maybe you, yeah. I don't know what Joy Road is like. <laughs> yeah. When you say that, talk a little bit about that and, and your struggle to kind of make it yourself. Yeah, well, you know, growing up there, um, I was fortunate enough that my mom had ended up eventually getting me up to uh, suburb schools, but I went to McFarland Elementary School, which is currently boarded up right now and which I want to be the future home of the rec center. Mm. And... Um, you know, when I was in school, my mom actually came up to the school and she was actually, like, tutoring. You know, that's when I was in fourth grade. And she had realized a lot of these kids, you know what I'm saying, it's a, aren't really learning. They're not really holding on to the, right. the knowledge that they need. So um, it was a decelerated program, and I was an all-A student, you know. And, you know, I thought I was just a good student. And then my mom said, hey, I'm getting you out of these schools. And they took me out to Dearborn Heights Public Schools. So at that point... You know, I thought I was like, hey, I just going to a new school, but it was a challenge for me. I go out here and, uh, you know, like I was saying, like, we start off in Detroit Public School. I was doing addition and subtraction, you know, <laughs> multiplication. I was, hey, I thought I was it. Then I go out here, and I'm in fifth grade. We're starting on basic algebra. And I'm like, whoa, this is a blow. Like, I don't know how to get X to the other side, you know what I'm saying, whatever. Like, it was crazy, and I struggled, like. You know, it was big for me to be able to go outside and play and be able to do extra activities, which I was doing when I was in DPS schools. But once I went out to the suburb schools, I wasn't able to do that because I had to do homework all day. I had to learn this new material <laughs> on top of, you know what I'm saying, they just stacking on new stuff. And I'm trying to grasp onto everything, right. grasp all this knowledge, and it was tough for me. Right. You know what I mean? So it was very frustrating. I had some long days as a young kid. You know what I mean? I could have easily made decisions not to do things, but, you know, 
you know, I, I always wanted to be successful. And I, even as a young kid, I don't even know I had that mindset, but I just knew I wanted to be successful, you know what I mean? So I kind of just stayed on the court, stayed away from a lot of trouble and just, you know, focused on, you know, sports and, you know, making sure I take care of my classwork. Right, right. Yeah. And did you did you you were talking about how you kind of bust around? I mean, you were taking multiple buses to get yeah. to school and living with different families yeah. and all that stuff. So yeah, my second my second half of my uh, freshman year, I had an opportunity. I moved in with my cousin, and so I um, transferred to Hazel Park. He's, that's I started playing football like my ninth grade year, and so then right. he uh, he got me uh, going in the weight. You know, he had a weight room in his basement, so I was living with him, my cousin Allen, and uh, you know he had me lifting weights in the morning and. Um, I stayed there for a while, and then eventually, you know, I was kind of sleep. I was sleeping on the couch, and uh, he had a wife and four kids at the time, and I was just like, hey, you know, I really don't want to invade too much, you know what I'm saying? I kind of, you know, felt like I was invading space and right. stopping them from living their life, so I eventually I had moved out, moved back to the west side, and so I was, like, taking two, like, three or two buses a day, depending on if I was feeling lazy or not, you know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? I, w- I would walk or something, walk to the corner, but, you know, I would take a couple of buses to school, and, you know, I'm basically going from the west side to the east side. And so, um, yeah, and then I walk a mile to get to school after that. And those are the choices I made. You know what I mean? A lot of a lot of kids not going to make that at, mm-hmm. you know, 14, 15 years old. You know, a lot of kids, I'm not going to go to school half the time. You know, a lot of these kids aren't going to make those decisions. But, right. you know, luckily for sports, you know, I really I was really passionate about it. I want to get to school. I want to make sure I play. I was ready for games. And so I, I kind of stuck with it, and my, my grades was getting better. You know, I was becoming a better student. And so um, after that, you know, my uh, my mom had got married. And so uh, she had told me, hey, we're moving out to Sterling Heights. Mm-hmm. So we um, we actually didn't have a house to move to Sterling Heights. So I actually had to move in with the family, mm-hmm. you know what I mean, because we really didn't have an address. You know, so I moved in with a family, and I stayed with them. And he had, you know, Mr. Wesner, he had a wife, you know, um, three kids, you know, and actually the— uh, his middle son was actually my center, and we both graduated yeah. together in 2010. Is that how so, you knew them? Is that how you? Yeah, that's how I knew them. Okay. I didn't know them from anywhere right. before I got there. You know what I'm saying? So it was just an opportunity, and um, I went to this school, and it was just a, a great opportunity. Some of the best years of my life. I have some of my best friend, friends from there. Uh, I was able to play in the state championship my senior year. You know, I only lost three games my my All junior right. and senior year. You know. I, Play through shot put. I I had fun there. Right. Was, you're playing D tackle then. Yeah, I was playing D tackle. So, and your friend's the center. So you're basically kicking well, his ass every well, day. Well, <laughs> yeah, I was I was a little bit. So I actually played offensive line my senior year. So I played tackle. Okay. So we we played together. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but yeah, so it worked out like that, and it was a blessing, and it, it taught me how to basically mature me. You know what I mean? And I was in a lot of different environments, so it, I had these opportunities. I didn't really look at obstacles, but some people might. You know, it was an opportunity for me to grow and get better. So, you know, I had some I had some rough mornings, especially when I was at Hazel Park. I mean, it was one morning I was sitting there with my gym bag and it was snowing and one of the buses came by and just swiped the curb and all the snow came on me. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, man, I had to go into Burger King and change it to my athletic gear. I had to wear that the whole day through school. You know what I mean? So um, But yeah, that was a little opportunity. Did you see sports as like the means to an end that you said, oh, I, I want to go to college or I want to get out? Or did you just love playing sports and you just happened to play and that and it ended up working out the way that it did? Well, it's kind of both. I love playing sports. Um, I grew up, actually, I did basketball. I played basketball in my backyard. And then um, in middle school, I was able to do boxing, a little bit of boxing at Crunk Gym. And, uh, you know, that was that was fun. You know what I'm saying? That was different for me. I wasn't that good. <laughs> you know, I eventually started getting better, but... Uh, 
but yeah, that was another activity I got into. And, um, you know, carrying on through high school, I didn't even like football at first. You know what I mean? I was like, hey, I'm a basketball player, but I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm 6'4", 300 pounds. Right. You, know, I, you, know, I, you look like a football player. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, <laughs> hey, I feel like I can dribble a rock and be the first point center, but I don't know how far this is going to go. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, you know, I just love sports. And then I seen I had opportunity in my coaches start time, especially when I got to Stevenson. You know, I started becoming a better player. And, um, you know, I, I had opportunities. I went to camps and started performing well, and I just started getting better. You know what I mean? And obviously, I went on to play at the University of Iowa. So, so this football has led you to some pretty great places now. Mm-hmm. And now you're kind of uh, capitalizing on it and hitting trench work. You're b- making trench work a brand. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Well, yeah, trench work is just basically kind of, you know, my life story. And it's like, you know, trench work is not about just being on the football field. You know, it's everyday life. You know, it's like going through those hard times where you sitting there and it's cold in the morning and you get splashed by that bus and you still got to get to school. So you got to find the reason you got, you can't find an excuse. You know, you got to find a reason to get through it. And it's a lot of people that have their own trench and I ask people like, what's your trench? You know, that's kind of my little trending thing. What's your trench? I want to know what people do every day. That's a grind. And a lot of times, you know, especially being um, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, you don't really get noticed unless you, you know, offensive lineman, they don't really get no praise, but, right. you know, defensive lineman, if you're on a double team, a fan really doesn't notice that. You know what right. I mean? They, right. they don't understand, like, sometimes the pain you might play through, you know, dislocated fingers, all type of stuff that happens. And that's just embodies trench work, you know what I'm saying? Just being resilient, not really looking at the adversity, just learn how to be resilient through these whole times. So, that's kind of how my life has been. And so I wanted, out of college, I came up with the word trench work. When the name trench work, I was sitting in my basement and I had asked my roommate about it once I came up with it. He was like, hey, I like it. I'm like, all right, cool. So I just put it on my sweater. I took some of my financial aid money, made a couple sweaters. And, um, you know, people started liking them. So I had a little bit more. So I started passing them out to some of my teammates. They liked it. And, you know, and then I, obviously when I came here, um, I just carried that whole thing on. That's even my, my, my um, Instagram handle name. And um, so I just, you know, I want people to understand. A lot of people may look at trench work like, hey, what is that? You know, right. but it's a meaning behind it. You know what I'm saying? It's more so a movement. And also, you know, to even to help it out, like a portion of money, I'm, portion of the money I actually make off my clothing line goes to my foundation. You know what I mean? So I want people to, when they wear it, it's for a great cause. You know what I'm saying? Right. You're helping out the city of Detroit, you know what I'm saying, my foundation. And I want people to be able to wear that with pride, you know what I mean? Even to the point like, hey, I might, before I, you know, before games, I might just pass out to a few fans, you know, just to get them in some gear, you know. People understand that and kind of just do your research about it and just look more to it. And then, you know, as we keep carrying on, I want people to just start noticing what we're doing and, you know what I'm saying, if people want to help out, they can help out. So, so if fans want to get some Trenchwork swag, where do they go? Uh, you can go to trenchworkgear.com. All right, And we uh, we're actually working on some women's stuff right now, too. I got people working on that. Right now we just have a couple hoodies, but we got some, some good stuff coming out that the fans, you know, may enjoy and have something for a little bit of everybody. I've All seen right. it. Stuff's nice. <laughs> he's, nice. He, he's over here just jonesing for a free hoodie. Hey, 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 that's what, that's what you're trying to play. <laughs> Carl yeah. Davis, thank you so much, man. We really hey, appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah, thanks All for right. joining us, man. Yes, sir. So as Carl exits, thank you again to him for joining us. Uh, he's got an interesting story. I didn't realize his entire background until he that was sharing it. that with us. Did you know Joey Road? I, I didn't. When he yeah. said that, I didn't. It didn't register with me. <laughs> yeah, but I'm guessing. I'm going to go Google it after yeah. we get out of here yeah. and figure out. Yeah, I bet it was kind of tough. 
I'm sure it was. Yeah, yeah. So thank you once again to Carl. But uh, I want to move on. Have we had the segment story time in a little while? Story time's kind of been on the back burner. Yeah, we haven't been good it's about It's fallen by the stories. wayside, but this is a good opportunity to bring back story time. For sure. So I was at the, when you were gone, drinking wine, eating a little <laughs> pot. You didn't drink any wine, did you? I had a lot of wine. <laughs> <laughs> any pasta? A lot of pasta, a lot of pizza. <laughs> While you were do- gone doing that, I was in Phoenix for the owners' meetings. And uh, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting few days out there. You know, I, I went up to, to Harbs. It was actually after you taped the whole April Fool's Day uh, boat thing, which if you hadn't seen that and if we fooled you, ha, ha! That was, we got to give a shout-out to our broadcast guy, Jack Dana. He was the one that came up with the whole it, April Fool's. It was Fool's. his whole idea. You know, we were kicking around April Fool's ideas and, you know, saying, like, what should we do or what, you know, different ideas. And Jack came up with the idea of this whole that we're taking a ship to London. I know. And we all liked it, and it ended up turning out great. You know, Jack, Jack's working on that full-time job. <laughs> Jack, you know, I think he might have earned it with this one. You know? I think he got it. Uh, so well done, Jack. But so, so then John, uh, we pitched the idea to John to do an interview to really sell it, you yeah. know. And he was all about it. He, he was totally awesome. bought in. And uh, if you hadn't seen the videos or haven't seen them, they're fantastic. My wife watched them and said, I can't believe another word this guy says. He's so good. I know. He's <laughs> so straight. He's so good at lying. I can't believe anything he says. <laughs> I told John that, actually. He got a good kick out of that. Uh, but anyway, so, so John was in a, in a great mood from doing those things. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to pitch this idea to him. So I asked him if he wanted to hike up Camelback Mountain with me in Phoenix, uh, which I was already planning to do. And he immediately got back to me and said, I'd love to. I was like, this is going to be great. So so anyway, so we get out there, and uh, I get an email like the day before and uh, from Kevin Byrne, and Kevin says, Sean McDonough, the, the play-by-play voice of My Night Football, is going to be joining you guys. And I'm like, that, that's great. Like, right. He and Harbs are really good friends going back, you know, a couple, I don't know, more than a decade. Right. Uh, so they're really good buddies. So the three of us go up the hike, and, like, I'm not really sure what this is going to be. At all, you yeah. know what? What's the like? Is there a story that's going to come from this? I don't know, right? And so we meet up, and I'm kind of thinking like, well, I want I want to talk to John about like, you know, the kind of the pressure to win this year and how he's handling that and how competitive he is because I feel like Jim Harbaugh gets so much ink for being super hyper competitive, and John is every bit as competitive as his brother. And what better way to tell that story than hiking up a ding-dang mountain? Right. I mean, and by the way, I was going to make sure he got to the top before me. As if you weren't going to already. Yeah, He's I was going to say, I don't think you had to make sure of that. <laughs> he is in way better. He, he is in way better shape than I am. Did he leave you in the dust? He did not leave me in the dust, uh, but he, he was probably a few paces could. Ahead. He probably could have, yeah. yeah. He was consistently ahead, yeah. I would say. Um, so anyway, so I'm thinking, like, maybe we're, I'm going to tell that story, right? No. That's not the story. <laughs> we meet up with Sean McDonough, and Sean is hilarious. And those two together are just like a comedy act, yeah. right? It's so like everybody that we walk by, they're just chatting them up and joking around. And like, it's just, it's just hilarious. And like, over the course of the hike, you know, like, I always knew that John was like a people person, you know, just in working with him for yeah. the past, whatever, eight years or whatever. But, like, just seeing this, like, he has an uncanny ability to walk up to anybody and start a conversation and just instantly, like, be friends with them. Connect. You know? Yeah, instantly connect. And these are just, like, whoever. They can come from all walks of life, right? And he finds, like, something that is a common connection with them. Often sports. It could be faith. 
It could be anything. And, like, he's just, it, it really brought to light, like, how John is unique in that way. And I think that it is something that makes him a, a very special coach. You know, I think that how a lot of NFL head coaches fail is that they can't connect to their players. Maybe it's because they don't have a similar background. Maybe it's because these players are making millions more dollars than them, and they're like, I ain't going to listen to you, man. I'm making a ton more than you. Right. Whatever, you know, or or whatever. Or they're, like, super athletes and the coaches. Yeah, or there's a, there's a significant age gap. There's a significant age gap, all that stuff. And, like, they, ha- I think a lot of coaches struggle with that. Or, or they can't relate to the star players, or they can't relate to the guys at the bottom of the roster. John relates to everybody, and he talks to everybody, and he can just chat up, you know, any staff worker, any player, all that stuff. And I think that that's what makes him a great coach and has led to a lot of success. It's interesting hearing you say that because Steve Bashotti has talked about how one of the things that he loves about him is how he can walk into the cafeteria at any point and see John eating with 1 through 53 on the roster. Yeah. You know, Joe Flacco, or, or the, the last guy in the practice squad, yep. and having a conversation with him. And that kind of just really underscores your point. Did, did, did most people recognize him on the mountain? Uh, no, I would say not. Okay. And, I mean, there were a few, but you know what was kind of funny is I was wearing those uh, spectacles, the, yeah. the uh, Snapchat, glasses. Snapchat glasses on the mountain, right? And so some people would be like, oh, you know, Sean would be like, oh, this is the head coach of the Baltimore Ravens, John Harwell. They'd be like, hey, cool. Are those the specs? Really? Those are cool. <laughs> I'd be like, dude, don't worry about the sunglasses. You're yeah. just meeting John Harbaugh. Right. And then one, one little girl was like, oh, are you... Are you the brother, or she? She basically like mistook him for, for Jim. Jim. Yeah, yeah. The, and he's like story of my freaking life, you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so it, it was really cool, though. It, it was really fun. We were wondering what the hell happens if John trips and like you know goes breaks down. an ankle or something, which he did go down at one point. He kind of turned it pretty bad, yeah. right? But he like he wasn't going to show, you know. He was gimping it up. He's just like dragging. How, one how bad out. would you have been sweating it out if he were to like hurt, hurt? It, like seriously hurt an ankle? What made and a they, good, the reason? A good story. Yeah, the reason he comes out and says, well, the reason I'm doing this is because Ryan Mink convinced me to do it. Steve Bishotti calls him and says, what were you doing hiking up the mountain? And he says, well, well Ryan Mink asked me to do it. <laughs> Luckily, that didn't happen. That could have been ugly. Yeah. But yeah. He, he stayed up. Tur- one little minor tweak of the ankle, but, you know, I think he'll make it. Good. So, yeah. So, it was fun. It was really fun. But uh, that's all the time we have for today on the podcast. Thank you for listening. As always, you need to email us at thelounge at ravens.nfl.net. And, and we will be back with more draft central kind of talk. And next, week. and next week, too, a little teaser, we're going to have Vince Newsom, our director of yes. pro personnel. He's somebody behind the scenes. I don't think a lot of people really have a clear idea of what he does. And we're going to pull back the curtain a little bit and talk with him uh, for next week's episode. Well, everybody wants to talk to a Newsom this time of the year before we get, get to the draft. Right. So we got you on. We got Vince. <laughs> <laughs> we got Vince. We're working on Ozzy. <laughs> well, once again, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back with you next week.